0: Welcome to another Pint with Shawnee B. Coming to you from the trendy Shoreditch area of London where all the new incubator companies are setting up. i mean, a classic example here. It's uh, called The Rise. My guest is companies based here. We have, a, we have a, a world right now that is awash with the ills and evils of technology and where it's bringing us unchecked. However, on a Pint with Shawnee B., we occasionally like to stop blabbering on about that and look at some of the brighter clouds on the horizon and uh, my guest today is an example of that she is involved in a company called Desolinator, which she will talk about a little bit later and she's also traveled the world she's quite young i don't know what age she is but she's significantly younger than myself and it's always good to have (laughs) a nice up-and-coming member of the world talking with us because they're responsible for cleaning up the mess that my generation has left for them and welcome to the podcast Lou Bleach how are you hello
1: very good
0: tell me about the rise tell me about where you're living here it's great it's got rocking chairs and
1: it's got rocking chairs cool it's got a cactus garden it's got motivational posters mm-hmm. it's got some very 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 stressed out startups <laughs> what but do you have to do to get in here So this is actually a building which is run by Barclays. Very smartly, they've done a building specifically for financial tech, so fintech. So you're not fintech. We're not fintech at all. But they've reserved on one floor a big area for all these sort of impact entrepreneurs. So we actually share an office with guys who do um, vertical farming, a woman who's designing a hydrogen car, guys who do aquaponics people who design 3D-printed artificial limbs for kids um, that change as they grow, thankfully.
0: What's in it for Barclays is that they can be your business banking Uh, partner? We bank bank with them. So
1: I think they bring in companies that they think will eventually turn quite a lot of profit.
0: Is it a sort Um, of corporate social responsibility thing for them?
1: So it's a program called the Unreasonable Impact program and they've Mm -hmm. partnered with these guys called Unreasonable Institute who are out of Boulder, Colorado. Amazing company. Their reason for being is to support what they believe are to be the companies they're going to help the world, change the world.
0: So are these just millionaires who want to do make good or?
1: Ex-Google, ex-MIT. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but, no? I mean, I, yeah, but. Uh, but still young, still
0: need to do something. Still, right.
1: still young, super smart. And basically they work to accelerate these companies. So the mm. idea is, is you partner with Unreasonable Impact and within five years, you're impacting over a million people. Okay. But there, are, I could not sing their praises more.
0: I used to live in Denver for two years. I quite liked it there. So oh, I was up nice! In, I was Boulder I was just up the road. Yeah.
1: The whole team is um, very fit and yes, very, it's a very good outdoorsy looking. Vegan sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: All the things that we don't do here in Ireland and, and Britain. <laughs> there, so let's I, talk about this desalinator thing sure. and what it is, and we will come back to your life and all this <laughs> that.
1: Okay so desalinator is a clean tech company basically what we've developed is a painted technology that can desalinate and purify water but using only solar oh.
0: it boils it
1: yeah so it's a it's a slightly more sophisticated yeah. version of di- distillation but the kind of ip smart bit of the technology is how we use the solar panel how we harvest the heat harvest the electricity and then, how we recycle that heat back into the device. Mm-hmm. So, there's something that exists which is a similar concept, which is a solar still. If you're ever des- on a de- desert island or on a shipwreck, you can distill your seawater and drink it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, solar still on a standard size will probably do one liter a day. Okay. We're doing 20 to 25.
0: So, what's happened to, to probably Bury your company to the top of the mountain is the cost of solar panels has come right down. Is that correct?
1: I think that's definitely going to help in terms of our manufacturing. Right. Um, but the kind of reason for being of this company was the fact that, I mean, 98% of all of our water is in our sea. Mm-hmm. We're approaching a huge water crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The UN estimates that by 2030, half of the world will actually struggle to access a reliable source of water. Right. So we're sitting on this massive resource, 98% of all the water, and yet-
0: And that water's rising.
1: And that water's rising. Um, (laughs) But the people who are only really able to tap into it are places like the UAE, Dubai, the Emirates, where they desalinate, but the way that they desalinate requires huge amounts of oil. So to get three barrels of water, you actually need one barrel of oil. That's the ratio. So as well as it being incredibly cost prohibitive, it's also very polluting. Yes. So in terms of, I don't want to say democratizing desalination, mm-hmm. but allowing people and communities and even certain countries who are either coastal or have saltwater intrusion or who have really horrific contamination, for example, the Bay of Bengal, which has insane yeah. levels of arsenic, we're trying to create a form of purification and desalination where all you need is the sea or a contaminated water source mm. and sunlight.
0: Was your idea a guy in a garage came up with it? Or?
1: Actually, yeah, it was. So our founder, who has about 30 years of engineering experience, mm. was living in Abu Dhabi. I think he was living next to one of the large desalination plants and would just wake up every single day look out the window and just be like there, there has to be a better yeah. way
0: i think the country with the most fresh water in the world is canada right they, they're saying things like that will be the new oil fresh water will be the new oil tell me what your guy's ma- aha magic moment was when he's staring out over these big industrial plants and what did he come up with
1: i would like to say that it was a sudden Uh aha moment Mm. but I think it was actually a labour of a few months trying to figure out You know, what could we do going down the academic route of reading papers of what works and then changing it to how he thought it should work and then Mm -hmm. making prototype after prototype after prototype to... So he started this about 2013 Mm -hmm. just in his garage with his incredibly patient wife and it was only until he got he got a... um, almost scholarship anniversary from Climate Kick in the UK mm-hmm. that was able to spur further development
0: of And it. now it's a real thing about to And start now out it's... You were working in Kenya, right?
1: Yeah, so I was in a, a project that is so close to my heart. It's, um yeah, so I was in Lake Turkana in northern Kenya, which is a bit cowboy land. Kenya's an incredible country. It's come on so much in the past few years, some of the most high-tech farming is coming out of there yeah so they're the second largest producers of roses in the world
0: after
1: holland uh, after holland just because they have invested so much money in developing infrastructure and things like that Mm. but there's almost this line that's been drawn in the sand of when you get to northern kenya which is very arid a lot of desert the development kind of stops Mm. and there's a a lot of guns everywhere and the people there are nomadic pastoralists, which means that they don't settle, they don't do any agriculture, mm-hmm. they move around with their herbs and uh, the herbs? <laughs> herds. Herbs and herds. Herbs and herds <laughs> um, of cattle and it's still yeah. very, very tribal, so yeah. there's a lot of tribal warfare and it's a semi dangerous like, kind sweet. of untouched place to be. So how
0: did you pick that place? They were You got a ground from Kenya? Or? Because,
1: well... Well, there's this lake, which is there, called Lake Takana, mm-hmm. which is also known as the Cradle of Mankind. They found oh, yeah. the oldest fossils of Homo sapiens there.
0: Mm-hmm. Does it feel like that when you're there? No, you just there's feel hot. Spooky and vibes now. So I
1: see. And the water there is becoming more and more contaminated with salt and with fluoride. And this is because of a project which is going on just past the border in Ethiopia, where they've stopped the river flow into this lake. Oh. And they've just diverted it to agricultural projects. But because it's on their side of Wars the border... Wars started for less. Definitely. Yeah. So now all of these tribes, about a million tribes that live around this lake, are starting to get really horrific diseases from drinking this water on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So you see kids with completely bow legs. There's a lot of preeclampsia. There's obviously your standard cholera dysentery Mm. but there's all these diseases coming out of the salt and the fluoride and these are some of the oldest tribes in Kenya actually in that whole region of Africa there's no technology available to them that's able to deal with that level of contamination so specifically Mm. salt and fluoride in quite marketing terms I guess we've always been like we go where everyone else fears to go yeah. and deal with fears to trend yeah yeah uh, you should meet our the co-founder he's very <laughs> <laughs> big ideas big picture and when we kind of got approached to do this project we were like well you know put your money where your mouth is I mm-hmm. guess so
0: so you're bringing so let's go back to the technology the, yes the, the technology that you're now employing in this area is, is, it, is this like a beta test for you if you get this right does Law all start uh, coming in? Or are you working all over the world? Well, or?
1: we're kind of working all over the, okay. the world. So at, at the moment, we're testing. We're on sort of our beta going onto our gamma prototypes, and mm. we're stress testing them in Dubai and Cyprus. Um, so what's the
0: idea that they hadn't found before that you, you guys found?
1: So there's other ways that you can remove salt and really, really bad mm-hmm. contaminants from So There's a process called reverse osmosis, yeah. and that's done through membranes. Mm-hmm. But that requires a lot of energy. So it's normally powered by a diesel generator. Yeah. But it also requires, because it's filtered through membranes, you have to change the membranes every two months. Now, you imagine going to somewhere like Lake Takano, where there's only camels and no electricity. Yeah. Even if you did have the money and the means to have a diesel generator, you're still having to transport that diesel from somewhere. And because the membranes need to be changed every two to three months, it means that you, first of all, need membranes, which normally come from Germany. And you also need someone who has a lot of technical expertise to be able to open up this big reverse osmosis plant and change them. So if you're talking about going to either islands or remote places like Lake Takana, it's just not a feasible option you need something that works simply that is easily maintained so you could train a farmer to be able to do it and you need something that runs for free Mm. so that runs on solar right
0: so is it mainly a solar play that the solar provides the energy to do something similar to what other things do exactly okay and on a smaller it feels a little bit more micro than macro it's not a big you haven't got time to build a huge plant so it's Something that a farmer yeah. can buy a few ovens. Yeah, exactly. A community can get a few ovens yeah. put in place. Okay. So, our
1: community models the idea is we're trying to engineer it so you can ship it in a 40 foot container mm-hmm. enough for over 10,000, something that will produce over 10,000 litres a day.
0: Okay,
1: well. So, well, there's. Yeah. They're not
0: short of sunshine down there. No. <laughs>
1: it was the most unrelenting okay. heat I have ever experienced in my life I went to do um, the water testing and the feasibility and meet the community members talk to the tribes talk to the chiefs
0: is there any pushback
1: no they they're really really sick yeah
0: this sounds like there's not a lot of money coming from the farmers there so who, who no. sponsors the whole thing who makes them so the, this is
1: part of our like humanitarian grant funded right. work so last year I went to Dubai to pitch Expo twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Have you heard? They I've they heard of, yeah, yeah they do like the big expositions yeah. in like Milan and, yeah. but Dubai being, Dubai they're hosting it in a few years, and as part of it they've they have this big grant scheme to support twenty companies that they think are gonna
0: that they can sh- then and show off at it. Right. At the expo. That is what they do.
1: Exactly. And, I mean, you should see the plans of this place. They're building a whole city mm-hmm. where a city doesn't exist yet.
0: When you look at Dubai and the Middle East, they have a huge looming issue as well, which is their oil will eventually run out. And they don't have any and water. They have, well, they don't have... Their, their whole infrastructure is built around it.
1: It's built you on know. dust and dreams. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the strangest place. I went guess. to Dubai for
0: the first time last year or two years ago. And it was like as if someone had been given... Trillion dollars to build skyscrapers as quickly as possible. But that is that, that is they're exactly they're, what the is. Without thinking. really knowing why. Yeah, <laughs> most of them are empty. I know. I know. To me, they're it
1: different. just looks like a post-apocalyptic world no, where all where there's Max, no yeah. trees. There's just dust and diamonds. It's and, hard to get
0: booze there. It's not good if you're. Ironed. Yeah, it's really no. You find with Shawnee B becomes a laxi with Shawnee. <laughs> um, so everything goes really well with this company. Tell me what it looks like in twenty years' time. Have we solved our water problem? Twenty
1: years time I'd I would like I can't say that it would solve the water problem because it's it would be very arrogant to say that us no, as one it, company could solve it. Everything, solve going it. Well. Do you everything think it's I think to solve the water everything problem? everything going well, I hope that we can contribute in a very big way to a more sustainable approach to water. Have you got a
0: bunch of competitors who are doing similar things? that are, well, are you, Is this a gold rush at the moment to see you can get the...
1: The ecosystem is varied. No one is doing specifically what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's similar to the re- approach of renewable energy. The more people that are doing it, and the healthier yeah. and more competitive the ecosystem is only going to be better... Mm-hmm. for future somebody generations will, will crack it, yeah. so someone needs to crack it but yeah. I just, uh, similar to development, to water, to energy to anything, there's never going to be one silver bullet solution I mm-hmm. think there's got to be a lot of players within the field who mm-hmm. can approach the problems from different ways mm-hmm. I mean to give you a more concrete example I'd love to be able to replace bringing in plastic bottles yeah. for example you take something like the Maldives Those islands don't have any fresh water. The hotels there will bring in hundreds of thousands of plastic bottles every year for their guests. Now, let's say if you put a desolinate on one of those islands, you negate the need for all of that plastic waste.
0: And this water that you make is drinkable and tasty or drinkable and just drinkable
1: well so what we're producing is completely distilled water okay. which you can then remineralize to your taste right okay so evian yeah. tastes like evian because it has
0: some of my friends said evian tastes like spit sorry yeah. very expensive yeah. spit yeah. that's what i imagine like a frenchman's spit would taste like
1: not that i, I get it not not that I there is like. actually a difference
0: <laughs> in taste between some waters i get it but yeah but some you know some water is technically not going to kill you but it tastes like it's still salty it tastes like crap like
1: yeah when we're catering to sort of more upscale markets mm-hmm. it means that if a hotel wants their water to taste like Evion, we can actually make okay. our water taste like Evian okay. because it's just simple mineral content
0: I mean the other rush to presumably is manufactured water through chemistry through combining
1: so do you know how originally water is made well, going hydrogen. back you know going okay. back to um, no. the start Tell of me. the world <laughs> so it's made by stars colliding ah. so all the amount of water that we have on earth is finite oh. we only have this amount of water thankfully we got a shit ton of it in the glaciers in the have sea have and things Hadron like collider
0: that somewhere that crashes stars but do we <laughs> need that
1: I know, I know. do we do well, we nothing we we're like um, Over-engineering the didn't problem. Know that. So yeah, is like, it is yeah, finite yeah. because how it was made is the collision of stars. I yeah, think that's very really beautiful. I really yeah. like that. Tell, well, tell me how what
0: happens then? You started
1: it. What from the? Yeah, yeah. Oh god. So what happens when it the stars went... collide?
0: And where does the water land? Oh Sorry, gosh, just, gosh I don't joke. know. I could. I have technical. But, yeah, ideas. fusion. Like it's, fusion. So, it's Something, something product, to do with,
1: like I did read a paper about it, but as with everything, quite scientific.
0: Did you watch the new? slightly sheepish documentary of Al Gore's where he's he's his follow-up to An Inconvenient Truth. The second one, yes, I did. I watched it last month, and uh, it's kind of sad. But, you know, the the point he makes, though, which is quite interesting and encouraging, and also plays into what you just said, is if you get the price of the solar panels down, then suddenly people start seeing business opportunities from making money from doing things that fix the planet and remove carbon and remove fuels, you know? So biofuel, this, what you're doing, ways of stopping the plastic problem. I mean, mean, there's probably three big ones.
1: I mean, it's all, with anything in life, it's a question of perspective. Not to sound cheesy, but like, all challenges are an opportunity. Yeah. But I mean, his point is, you you
0: know, there's a, a a capitalist versus socialist tightrope in these things where the capitalists, the oil companies in Texas where I live, uh, who cares about the environment just keep pumping them and keep fracking and keep doing whatever they don't care right? I mean, there's no such thing as global warming no yeah such climate change fuck it all I've got furrowed brows with my worries
1: and then there's the kind of no there is all the just just
0: say oh shit! but like when those Texans who only care about making money start to understand that they can make money from doing stuff that's not screwing up the world sort of the tipping point that I think Gore was yeah. talking about that we get to which is why companies like you get funding because you need to show proof of concept right? Yeah for yeah. sure So how does a, a, a and you are young, a young girl like you woman in her 20s I guess right? Late 20s Late 20s end up in <laughs> what is a, a great job because you're saving the world What's your background? Where were you born?
1: Oh, I guess by blood I'm Vietnamese French English oh, okay. Yeah bit of a weirdness Eurasian Eurasian yeah yeah, mongrel born in Hong Kong so my mum is Vietnamese French Vietnamese French and my dad is probably the most English person you've ever met Okay, he moved to Hong Kong when he was 22 to escape marrying an English girlfriend so moved to the other side of the world
0: could not just have said no sorry I don't want to
1: yeah bit of a pussy (laughs) (laughs) He then got stuck in a lift with my mum mm. when they were in there. He was in his early 30s. She was in her late 20s. For how long? Uh, stuck in the lift? Or yeah. how long were they married? Stuck uh, st- <laughs> st- Long enough, it seems. Yeah. I've never been uh, given the details, but quite a romantic story. Mm. So I was born there, raised there, went to school there, ended up going to a very strict all-girls boarding school. Where in, in- Hong Kong did
0: you
1: live? Uh top of the mountain. Oh, nice the peak. The peak, lovely, Which was great. And then as So what did your dad do there? He's a barrister. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Did you like living in Hong Kong growing up there? I loved growing up there. It was amazing. The first thing that my dad bought with his first big paycheck was an old Chinese fishing trawler. Oh. Which he brought over from China. Completely Wait, gutted a trawler. it. A trawler. Wow. But completely gutted it and mm. then turned it into like a family boat. Which meant that the front was where they used to lay all the nets down. Was huge.
0: That was the swimming
1: pool. No, uh, nah. was just where we'd nap on the way. Right on the way home. But that's one of my most vivid, oldest memories.
0: We, would he sail it?
1: You just drive it.
0: Right where though?
1: Just to like the islands. The other end,
0: Manti and all those.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Walk to the pigeon restaurant, which I remember really well.
0: And um, did you go to like that? Little, so the, the American school or whatever they have there? The kind of so school. I went to the French school. French school. My first language is French. Okay. okay. Is it really?
1: Yeah. And then, yeah, I moved <laughs> over to the UK.
0: Do you still have uh, relatives in Vietnam?
1: So it's kind of a weird story in that my mum lost all contact with her family. So she was moved to Paris when oh. she was a bit younger right. during the war. It's a bit of a question mark in the family okay. history. Like we don't know if there was a fallout or but her whole education until university was paid for and a yeah. very good Swiss nunnery. Um, and then she just and you had- You don't know by who? Well, she she knows it was from her family, but she doesn't understand why okay. why why it happened that way. And then she basically put herself through university, um, started mm. her own business and then What did she do? She is now this global CEO of a very big diamond company called Narav Modi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it a very, years very... Years very uh, <coughs> you worked at De Beers?
0: No, I, well, at my agency. Oh, uh, okay. It. It, was, it was the most secretive account I've ever seen. I
1: was like, yeah. I can not like, really cigarettes, cigarettes and
0: diamonds are the two accounts that are... They're the most solid in agencies because you couldn't find anything that went on. It was all...
1: I could picture you at diamonds. No, I didn't do it. It wasn't my account. It was in (laughs) the agency.
0: I literally knew nothing about it. They were just... everyone sworn to secrecy. It's probably all the stuff they get up to. Blood diamonds, things like that. Uh, You're making up for it, though. Um, (laughs) Well, I'm trying. And so you came here to school, your secondary school, was it?
1: Secondary school. Went to Edinburgh for undergrad and my masters okay. in social anthropology mm-hmm. so like? I loved it so right. much
0: you you get this uh, world view very early yes you know from your father clearly your father's a bit of an adventurer and you know your mother and you, you had this uh, a lot of travel probably by the time mm-hmm. you were in your teens which a lot of people don't get to did you find that you were noticing problems and even when you do social anthropology feeling like I'm going to get involved in this area to fix and make the world better how do you get to this point in your mind when you're like younger would you did you just fall into it or do you think about it or? I
1: don't know of being younger and seeing a lot of the world and my mom, my mum always wanted to adopt a girl from Vietnam and she had a lot of ties with orphanages there so we mm. went a lot as kids So I think from a young age, I was maybe exposed to, I don't want to say poverty, but different levels of... realising how lucky you are as well, as well. Yeah, that, always realising how lucky I was.
0: I left in 96 and just went went travelling the world for 21 years. But uh, yeah, I found that that. and, And also when it comes to complaining about something, you've seen so many things. There's so much worse than the problem that you're confronting right now. Yeah, I, I'm able to take a moment and rationalize myself back into kind of just getting on. With yeah. The good stuff.
1: What made me switch to wanting to work in development and social enterprise was living in Malawi for as long as I did.
0: Okay, so we're coming to the Malawi story. So you've done your you've done your your degree, your masters. Yeah. Is that when the Malawi thing happened? And so tell me what happened there?
1: I. So I did a four-month research thesis, mm-hmm. which got me out of London. I went to study spiritual exorcisms in nomadic tribes in the desert, well, wait, which, a second. Was quite, which stop is quite,
0: which there. quite <laughs> interesting. Spiritual uh, exorcisms in just on
1: the border of Essaouira in Morocco. Right. These you wouldn't even call them a tribe, but sort of a Shremen. group. Sort of, yeah, a group called the Gnawas, who were the really interesting history, but they were the original sort of slaves that were brought over during the Ottoman Empire. So when all of the slaves were brought out of Africa, Morocco was actually one of the final port of Mm -hmm. cause before they were shipped to the Americas or Mm -hmm. Europe or wherever. Some of that group managed to stay. So they have a really interesting sort of merging of Islam tradition and African shamanism and animistic beliefs one of the main rituals that they perform is actually the opposite of an exorcism so an exorcism is when you try and take that doesn't sound good (laughs) an exorcism is when you put the opposite of putting something into you yeah so you put something into you good or bad it's a very beneficial thing the way they view it is that there's jnun or spirits everywhere and the way that you placate them or create a beneficial harmonious relationship Mm. is to bring them inside and you do that through ecstatic trance, dance, fits. And it's normally that it happens to women. But it's these all-night ceremonies around music and drums and the Goombri, which is actually the original blues guitar. So it has a blues riff. So you're so, going over
0: there when you're a teenager to what, monitor uh, the 19. To, yeah, to monitor the
1: no, to, no. Do, to do, to
0: Just understand what's going, under, understand on. Yeah, what's uh, going make a on,
1: make a thesis. Um, so
0: first of all, you're, do you believe in it?
1: I went in with, because so much is written about spiritual exorcisms hmm. or antacisms. There's like the biological explanation where you trigger part of your brain or they use solution drugs or mm-hmm. things like that. Um, Then it's a chemical reaction, and your body reacts that way because of X stimuli. Mm. And then there's anthropological explanations being like, well, it's generations and generations of oppression that this is how they release it. Mm. I went in, Leela, my first ritual, I was like, this is... Scary? This is something else. Was it scary? I think I was just too... Blown away to be scared, right. but it wasn't Were you scary. On your own? Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't. How your folks go? Oh yeah, that's
0: fine. Off you go. Where are you going? I'm just going off to. Well, I didn't tell them that okay. that was my
1: thesis okay. until I have written it. Okay. And upward management. Okay. Where's <laughs> so gone? I don't know. I haven't seen her for a few months. She's just yeah. maybe like surfing in Morocco. But it's it sounds like it's a scary thing, but it's done in such a way that it's mostly women, first of all, that do it. Any the whole. For that or? Women are more susceptible to it, right? And the whole premise around it is a very positive thing. You don't choose specific people. So if you imagine like a group of musicians, they're playing and then they have all these rituals. So to open the ceremony, they sacrifice a goat and bleed Mm -hmm. it. And there's all this amazing cosmology around what happens in the ritual. Mm -hmm. But it's more as soon as the music starts playing, it's random people that will just go into it.
0: So it's like an American preacher thing that meets the Beatles in it. Yeah, in so sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you, you know, you're a scient- scientific, you know, you're involved in science. I mean, last year I had a whack at Changa, which is a kind of form of, yeah, of ayahuasca. It? But, you know, I mean, I, mean, I mean, the first thing is, is there a spirit world or is there not? In your mind, in your mind do you think there is or isn't?
1: I think there are whether you call them spirits or gods or ghosts or energy, Mm. which ultimately is what everything is. But I think there's a dimension that we don't necessarily perceive in our everyday life. I think we're becoming much less perceptive to it because we're so removed from having Earth under our feet, having big sky over Mm. our head, having... elemental elemental contact with whether it's trees or sea Mm -hmm. or just dirt so i think there's different ways that you can open those doors of perception whether Mm -hmm. it's ayahuasca hallucinogenic plants to some extent yoga when you get Mm -hmm. to a certain like obviously Mindfulness mindfulness or i'm thinking more like the yogis that meditate in the himalayas for world peace like there's different doors I doing such a good job though either, <laughs> I know we should give him a but call <laughs> there's the issue of
0: whether it's real or whether it's the chemical thing in our mind that creates this reality so is there yeah. an actual dimension or is the dimension manufactured by chemical goings on or we see something in our minds it's very different I've always wondered this
1: and I would like to say that it's reality and how you perceive reality is down to potentially chemical reactions and things yeah. but uh, have you read Homo Deus by oh, I've read the, first, I mean, read
0: the first one Homo sapiens,
1: Yeah, one of my favourite books like Anthropology on Crack but his yeah. second one
0: is great.
1: phenomenal yeah but there's this one bit of the book that I mean it's a bit of a hefty read but Persevere because the last section is the best where he talks about free will and AI, whether free will actually exists or whether mm. internally are we just a bunch of algorithms? Mm. You seem mm. like you have control, but actually it's all down to set factors and stimuli, and everything mm. can be reduced to.
0: Well, certainly Sam Harris is Sam Harris on the Waking Up podcast, who's one of the four atheist apocalypse guys. Is he's a one million percent convinced we don't have free will, and he has like little examples of of how we don't, one of his things is like he says to you, uh, so think of a movie, don't tell me what movie it is. So have you got one? Yeah. Right? And Now think of a different movie. Have you got one? Yeah. Right? And look what happened in that process. When I asked you to think of a movie, a movie popped into your head. There was no part of you that, that went, yeah. which movie will I get? Or maybe two or three did, and you did pick one of the three. But then when I asked you to pick another one, He's probably focused a bit more and thought, oh, there's a trick question coming up here. You he probably yeah. picked a more obscure one or something. For free will to be a real reality, every movie that you remember or every movie that you've watched mm-hmm. probably should in a split second line itself up and you go, I'll pick that one. Right? Yeah. Like you're in a big video store, right? Yeah. But what happens is it's just come in. And, and then the other problem he has with free will is if there is somebody inside you that is pulling the triggers, that is saying you know, Lou, I've got to get out of this interview, you know, whatever. <laughs> if that person is in there, well, then who's controlling that person? Yeah. And there's another, I heard an interesting one recently, which was the idea that our whole life is a block. If we take space and time as just a thing that we happen to be living in. In other words, our, our life is 100 pages of a book and I'm in page 50 yeah. at the moment. But I'm. it's going to go on till page 100 and then life continues on. And I was just one little chapter in this big stream that there's nothing that I can do really, even if I was to get run over by a bus after this. Well, my that was my that, that, was, it. that was it. anyway, <laughs> right? I don't know. But the the other we can't we can't leave without Westworld, which is the did yeah. you see that like yes, I mean it's ter- it's got full of holes, but the the concept of the it
1: concept is, is insane, yeah. and you start to look at. There's another incredible book called Thank You for Being Late done by an amazing journalist who has a real knack of reducing quite complex phenomena into some to a simple narrative that's actually yeah. enjoyable to read I mean in 2007 there was a collision of hardware processing power, memory power and the internet things like Airbnb, Facebook Autodesk, all of these companies emerged from that same year because of a huge amount a pack, of yeah. processing power yeah. available and he sort of extrapolates that 10, 20 years down the line yeah. in terms of what AI could become and the speed at which we're going to be suddenly moving. Yeah. I find all of this terrifying. Like, yeah, same here. I'm,
0: I'm glad I don't have kids and I'm glad I don't, won't be around for yeah. I think...
1: No one knows what's going to happen. And the problem is it's going unchecked. It's going unchecked and the social structures that we have now are not going to be able to keep up mm. So, from an ethics perspective.
0: yeah, But they have ethics AI people now who are... Tiny little voice going. Tiny, (laughs) with their clipboards. What about if they kill us all? (laughs) And you know, there's it's ripe for a a despot, an Ozymandias to use technology to create an evil empire that controls all of us or whatever. Yeah. the the, the world that you're saving might not be worth saving. I want to finish maybe (laughs) in this area, talk about the future as you see it. But let's just finish the Malawi. So you you came back from. You came back from, from the, the exorcism. What was, your, what was your conclusion on, on the that exorcism thing?
1: My simple conclusion was there are things that we will never know. and There are right. things that we cannot measure. And to try and explain such a complex phenomena in such reductive terms of it is this, that or the other is... You're, so you have a bravery
0: not. about you, do you? Where does that come from? It's not a, like, you, I don't know. No one, no one goes off and does stuff like that. Know. You know, they won't go. I read a book about it. <laughs> um, so then, not not content with going to reverse their exorcisms in Morocco, you decided to go to Malawi. Did that go? Well,
1: no, there was a tiny chunk before right. that. Okay, I came back and was determined to work for Red Bull and do their marketing because ah, okay. I loved extreme I done sports. Some work for them as well. And then just, I just thought, I think I was like young and I was like, I would just want to snowboard and be around those type of crazy people. Um, I remember
0: I was judging the fluke tag in Sydney once. Yeah. The fluke tag is in a red building where people charge off the edge of a pier in a flying With the funny machine, little... In, in a yeah. flying machine of their invention and see who gets the furthest. None of them go very far. But anyway, I was, I was walking around the, the ha- hangar, the paddock, where all of these flying machines were park before the event and I had to judge them for creativity. I'm walking around with the head of Red Bull in Australia and I'm sort of going, you know, a lot of these are death machines people <laughs> like They have frog drivers waiting to pull people out yeah. of their consciousness. and he goes, yeah, well they've all signed something and I think, it struck me that they're the only brand I've ever worked on in advertising whose target audience or who they're interested in sports where the competitors might die. Yeah. That's what they're into. Yeah. Right? it's it's
1: that fine line between being a complete maniac or just being so you're big into your
0: snowboarding and skiing and all that yeah okay right okay so you wanted to get a job but then did you get a job with them
1: so i got they have an incredibly difficult process to get on their grad program and i got to the final stage and then didn't get it so i kind of thought maybe i want to do something in marketing applied for mnc saatchi Got to the final stage, didn't get it, mm. ended up doing another random marketing job, and I was. Did you, ever like,
0: get, did you ever get down that these were not going your way? or? Yeah. Really? Okay.
1: Yeah. Pissed off more yeah. than anything else. But you uh, seem like
0: a kind of a person who can take the blows.
1: Maybe I look like that.
0: Oh, really? Okay. It's yeah, hard. I, it's can, hard. I can. But in uh, hindsight, when you look back,
1: In hindsight, yeah, I remember being really upset, but it's the kind of thing where you just get up and go again. Go again, because.
0: You've got a different kind of What's the option? (laughs) What's
1: (laughs) the other option? I thought that that's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to be living in London, and I want to have the London life. And I just really fucking hated it. And I was crossing, I remember what the moment it was. I was crossing the. um, What's that bridge on the way to London? Was it London Bridge? Mm, Tower Bridge? I was looking around, exactly. everyone just looked grey gray and miserable. Grey. And I was like, I'm not up for this. It was quite literally the question of putting my finger on a map and it sort of landed in next to Malawi. And I was on a, like,
0: on a spinning globe or an atlas?
1: Like, on a flat. Well, I'm just going to go here. Flat. Uh, and I was like, I've never really done. Africa. Did you really do that? Though? Yeah. You, you, came, done, you were working in well, so, you were trying
0: to get a job and you hadn't no got one. yes which uh, job you didn't get a job and I was well, well
1: so I was working part time for this like marketing firm right and it kind of landed in the general direction of it was like Malawi, Tanzania, Kenya. But you were
0: doing it as a joke, or were you doing it? As a joke? No, I was no. doing it as like I get. I'm getting out of here, and I'm gonna go. Yeah, I and think. you did
1: it. I think it's almost like a kettle, you know, like it boils and yeah, boils and yeah. boils, and then you're like throw all your talk, like. I was just like, fuck it, I've got to go. Yeah. I knew the general area that I wanted to be in, so I started looking at jobs. Imagine if there.
0: the had landed on London. <laughs> Sorry, I I'd go again. Best of three. <laughs> I'd go again. Best of three. Best
1: of three. It happened to land in a, in a part that was like exciting and yeah. sunny and uh, felt. You're
0: planning to do this on your own. Yes. And now you're twenty-two. Two. two.
1: Right. Yeah, twenty-two. So
0: it lands in Malawi, and then I want you to go on the internet and start so reading up about Malawi one of the poorest countries in the world.
1: One of the poorest countries in the world, and I ended up finding this random marketing job to do marketing for this NGO.
0: So Pat. you went into you went onto the internet said somewhere in Malawi Tanzania kind of area yeah. I'm going to move there what's available so yeah. said, okay so <laughs>
1: found a job yeah. moved there worked for this wildlife kind conservation of conservation NGO yeah. it was amazing because they did a lot of rehabilitation and my little sort of accommodation bit where I was sharing with this vet who was the most so you, asking me if I was a feminist, mm. you will never meet more hardcore women than women working in that part of the world. I, I said...
0: Well, or men. I mean, it's a brave thing to do. I mean, you really are so sundering Or men, you know, like but... comforts, right? It wasn't a comfortable existence, was it? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no.
1: But uh, but I got to listen... I was working up every morning by the sound of lions right, and monkeys Hopefully, far away lions no so right next door oh, Okay. because they were in these big enclosures waiting to be oh, right. rehabilitated so it was a
0: nature reserve it?
1: yeah so it's like an NGO that specialises in rehabilitating animals okay. so while they have them they'll sort of nurse them back to health or if they're monkeys they'll incorporate them into a troop and then they'll release the whole troop okay. so I worked with them for oh, what was it half, not even half a year, four months and then got really interested in agriculture and food and famine there because I was in Malawi right at the end of the rainy season.
0: Well, Malawi always sits on the cusp of a famine, right? It's always... It's It's it's... always,
1: yeah. But it doesn't... It's insane that it does. Mm -hmm. I couldn't understand... Why do you say that? So I was there during the end of the rainy season where everything grows. Like, Malawi is one of the most fertile places. Right. It's just lush and green. Yeah. And yet, for some reason, when the country is at its most fertile, where there's greenery everywhere, it's also, that's when the hungry season is. We, so you you were
0: just going, this doesn't make sense. I was like, this Why does it? not right. make yeah, good question. any
1: sense. Yeah. So... I sort of started looking into it, speaking to other NGOs, speaking to farmers, um, like local Malawians that I was working with. And it's because Malawians and well, Malawi in general has a subsistence economy which is based around the growth and cultivation of maize. Originally brought over from South America. And maize only grows with the rains. The rains come. You quickly put your maize seeds... In your field, yeah. bearing in mind that close to 90% of all Malayans are smallhold farmers. Mm-hmm. And then during the rainy season, which is sort of December to April, and because maize is a very thirsty crop, that's when your maize grows. Mm-hmm. So you really get the harvest at sort of April, May, June, it's sort of starting to come in. So during this whole time, during the rainy period, you're just waiting for your food to grow and
0: hoping there's no problems floods with and pests stuff, yeah. and
1: floods and yeah. bearing in mind that you're using very little fertiliser and with limited knowledge disease, of real, yeah. yeah, disease. And then that maize has to last you
0: following-
1: till the following harvest.
0: So the question you immediately say is why are, so why I, why are you, planting are you
1: Why are you only planting maize? So I decided to learn more about this and... Why farmers were so hooked on only growing one crop and why it was very chemical fertilizer intensive because you get government subsidies for the first. was you
0: just you looking at it, or was it you working with another? No, so this was me. Right. So I'd
1: stopped the marketing job yeah. and then ended up doing a permaculture course in the north of the country wow. for like two months. Right. And I learned Same
0: what permaculture is.
1: So, permaculture is taking organic agriculture that step further. So, it's only using natural resources for all of your farming inputs. So, for right. example, instead of chemical fertilizers, you would use manures or green manures or manure teas. Mm-hmm. Um, you do things like companion planting. One plant really needs nitrogen. Yeah. You can plant a nitrogen fixing plant next to it. Yeah. So, it's basically creating what nature Maximize does. Automatically, but creating like a harmonious system.
0: Does everyone at this stage in your life go, Oh, oh lose lost out in Africa, just gone mad, going permaculture, looking after animals? Like, is that like because you're doing something at that age that's so different? I talked to people on the show who've done some different things with their lives. You've done it particularly early.
1: It, it didn't feel like no, madness no, at no, the actually, time. There was an echo. No, my, my parents thought I had.
0: Lost it. Well,
1: they didn't think I would um, lost it because they knew that I was working really. So while I was there, I was doing a lot of I was doing a lot of writing, small articles for like Huffington Post and things like that. So they kind of knew that. Do they
0: pay well? Or? No, they didn't pay me. Pay
1: at
0: all. Huffington Post. Huffington Post. This supposed to be the flagship um, of new journalism.
1: I know. But I was yeah. young, and my writing.
0: So you were just like, "What's happening in Malawi?" Kind of articles, is it?
1: Yeah, but also things like new tech that was coming in. So, so what, live, what is Malawi
0: like to live in? Like, were you living in a hotel or in a, no. in, a in a rented no. room or no. aircon? No. No. Exactly. No, back, no power. Out. Is it really dusty no. and no roads? And
1: it's dusty when it's the dry season. Mm. Malawi is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been as well, to. Right? It's a very peaceful country. Yeah. There's brawls,
0: <laughs> civil brawls, civil
1: brawls. There's no civil war, the, okay. the, and it's the most of all the places I've ever been to. It's the most. The people are so incredibly tolerant of religion, right. language, and tribes. Right. So there's no tribal warfare. There's amazing.
0: So mainly Muslim
1: countries. Muslim. It is uh, quite a lot of Christian because right. of the. Um, missionaries missionaries. Yeah, missionaries they did a great job but yeah <laughs> I rolled my eyes there it? <laughs> yeah no know so in that respect it's very peaceful but
0: and where did you live? were you living in a wattle hut or like tell me what it was like. it like so was when I was
1: doing this permaculture course I was living at this sort of permaculture centre so I had right. a little tiny house. house
0: house but
1: no when I say house it's like smaller than this room Tin roof. Okay,
0: right. And outside toilet and all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Compost chicken, chicken, chickens, toilet. Chickens running around and all that?
1: Yeah. Open to the lake. I mean,
0: you learn... Did you, get, did you have any scrapes near scares? Oh, oh. I had malaria
1: three times. Right. I had bilharzia twice. What's that? A parasite that you get from contaminated water. And it goes oh, in through your that. hands and your feet. And then further down the line, it will lodge itself in your liver and you'll die. <laughs> but it's fine. You just have to like poo in a bag, and then they give you medicine. Um, wow. I'm I'm on a list at the London School of Tropical Medicine.
0: You have some antibodies in there. I have. You to <laughs> so you're you're doing the permaculture yeah, for two months, sorry. and what happens then?
1: I kind of decided that this is what I really, for the meantime anyway, really wanted to do. I wanted to work with people who are already doing this and try and spread permaculture techniques and permaculture practices so that people can be first of all not reliant on chemicals and learn how to grow things and harvest water and stop a hungry season
0: yes
1: so i ended up designing um, and implementing a few nutrition programs based on these like food forests that's when i met my old boss but still an amazing friend and still a mentor at a party drunk and I had a massive rant at him about the state of Malawi the state of nutrition the state of agriculture how I didn't he's un- Malawian or no so he's English English
0: right
1: how I didn't understand how NGOs were doing fuck all really mm. ultimately for the amount of money that they were getting I you how- notice that one
0: of the problems with NGOs is there's, too, there's often too many of them well, it's too many cooks in the kitchen, isn't it?
1: I places. think the aid mentality and the structure of aid is actually what's kept the continent poor. Yeah.
0: Have
1: you have you heard of a book called Dead Aid by Danbu Moyo? Yeah. She is amazing. She's like my amazing Tanzanian economist, but very, very smart. So I was having a rant at him. I was like, I don't understand. Where is the private sector or companies that want to do something? He was like, well, it's interesting that you should say that. Why don't you come to see what we're doing and that's how i got the job at so he ran malawi, malawi mangos Mangoes. What,
0: what, what is that about
1: it was started by these two guys johnny jacobs and craig hardy both london city boys johnny used to work in financial law for morgan stanley mm-hmm. and craig did something for rbs i think they had both come to malawi as tourists fall in love with it didn't understand why the country, like a bit like me, was so desperately poor. And they actually came during the mango season. The thing about Malawi is it's just mango town, like mango trees everywhere. So much so that millions of tons just rot on the ground. Okay. So they were there and they were like, I have
0: to be one more fucking mango." That's what it's like everyone has yellow
1: tongues during the season because that's all people eat. And it's just everywhere. It's just like, oh, oh,
0: they're so good.
1: And so Johnny and Craig were like, there's a huge business opportunity here that no one is harnessing. Because the problem is, do they not even export their mangoes. There's no infrastructure to be able Uh, to do that. There's no roads, there's the tiniest airport. There's no way to do post-harvest processing and there's just no structure to be able to do it. Long story short, they managed to get something like 50 million of investment from World Bank and VCs, built Malawi's first huge processing unit, ended up expanding to 4,000 hectares of -of state-of-the-art drip irrigated, moving to organics, but some of the best mangoes that they were that you can grow, Mm -hmm. some from India, Alfonso Mangos, some from Kenya, and had managed to create this, first of all, amazing farm, fantastic business, but off the back of the business, they saw, in terms of development of a country, instead of aid, it was, you need to give people jobs and the opportunity to make Mm -hmm. an income if you really want to lift them out of poverty. Mm -hmm. So off the back of this model, they also worked with five thousand smallholders around the factory, so it ranged from people who had five trees on their yeah, land. They bring a basket in and they. Exactly, split. it gets processed and then it was shipped to people like Innocent Smoothie, Coca Cola, mm-hmm. PepsiCo. Right.
0: So they're doing what you know New Zealand did with kiwi fruit and Ethiopia did with coffee, and they're taking the co- the core natural resource that, as you said, is just left rotting around the beach. Yeah and putting it and packaging and putting a brand name which is a pretty cool brand name actually and making making Malawi the capital of mangos of the world is that it?
1: Trying to trying or to. at least approaching poverty in a way that you're allowing yeah. people to make their own income mm. because Malawians are incredibly proud hard working mm. wonderful people who just have no means is there
0: a corrupt government, or I mean, yeah, welcome to Africa. yeah,
1: Africa. welcome to Africa, but it's not as corrupt as, as <laughs> some. And I think saying that, I mean, yes, the government has a lot to do with it because they're not putting the money into the right things like roads, electricity, no, and you have to open and, the government's
0: eyes by doing stuff like this, and they go, right, yeah. yeah, so how long do you spend with them?
1: Closer to, to two and a half. Issues.
0: Okay, so you were three years in Malawi, roughly. roughly. Yeah, right. give okay. take. So, what was the little thing that made you leave? Because it felt like you had been looking for somewhere to land, and oh, now I found it. Okay. It was,
1: it was a few things. I was living in the middle of nowhere. As much as the job was my life, and I loved that, I missed. Did I, you know, have I missed it. Yeah. So yeah. my boyfriend was is probably the most understanding man in the whole planet. Who was so, who understood? He was like, this is your dream, go do it, we'll make it work. He came over, I went back. I did like long stints in London because we were doing a lot with Rome and the UN at the time. So I was able to spend like two months here, two months there, and go back and forth. I missed electricity. Your hair. Uh, I, oh, I wash my hair, but, um, <laughs> uh, but I got really good at bucket baths. And also there was a pivot in the company. I mean, this is a whole other massive long story, but basically the investors came back and decided that we were pouring too much money into social projects, sustainability, right. community empowerment, all that stuff. And they were like the very bad people who originally had taken a shot and put the money into the company had now turned around and was actually having owning 51%. They said, actually, we don't care about all of the sustainable business model. We just want you to produce the cheapest product Uh, possible.
0: Where were they from? What country were those investors
1: from? uh, They're Dutch. Dutch. But they, so, well, some of them are Dutch, but I, I feel like I can't say the name. But their portfolio is mainly oil and gas.
0: There we And have it. mining. There we have it. So, well, that must have they
1: didn't terrible. understand that, especially in agriculture, to build something truly transformational with long term impact, you're not going to get a so return the, on your profit. the two boys
0: who came from a banking background had a pure idea to have a win win situation, a bit like Starbucks and the coffee, even though, you know. More progressive more, and yeah. impressive than that, but yeah. Well, it's, it's quickly turned into. Let's just get them as cheap as possible. Well, so... Is it still going?
1: I can't say that it's still going because right. it's not what it was. The Yeah, so the founders left. I remember the... sounds like it
0: was a high drama time. It
1: was... I felt like something in me had died oh. when I was told. It was like a bit of my heart was just ripped out. We were just on the up and we got so much traction and we're starting to do... We got to talk about it a lot on public platforms, so... We would go to the UN and be like, this is how we see development. This is how we're doing it in Malawi in the place that no one thought we could do it because business is so difficult to do there. just step on that for a minute. At
0: at the end of the day, this is a a bunch of people in a room who are investors, who have consciences, who have children, who have an understanding of poverty, who have an understanding of the state of these countries, who are businessmen, who do want to make a profit, but who've kind of... In a very kind of evil kind of way, gone.
1: Oh, ha, ha, ha. it is a hundred percent evil. I
0: am going to do this. Yeah, to fuck things up even more.
1: I think for the people very high up, it's a question of numbers not adding up. Yeah. But the people that they then sent in, this company was we had probably five expats, but the rest were Milanians because it was they wanted it to build it as a company run mm. by Milan's for Malians. When they brought in these evil investors, sent in new management, part of that was bringing over on the ground managers from South Africa. Right. Now, this isn't a blanket term for how all South Africans operate. I'm these okay are with just that, that right. South Africans, white yes. South Africans. These are just the South Africans that we got sent. Yeah. But it is a very different type. We got here to make money. Of, but. Yelling, yeah. racist comments, yeah. and the thing that was holding this company together was so the farms didn't have any fences. Mm.
0: Trust, hope. All of the community
1: unity. realized that this was their golden ticket, and we employed mo- we employed all of the community. So they re- they realized that if they stole from the farm, whether it was one mango, one banana, or one pipe, that was going to affect them right. and their children. Yeah. But as soon as everything changed, the South Africans came in, everything got taken. So that means you're working in a completely different environment. Mm. You need guard dogs, you need yeah. patrolmen, you need security, you need to implement fear. It's
0: like the mining industry, right? Yeah. Well, you know, well, I don't know how to say that. It's just, you... you I keep going back to the point that even these City Africans who are coming over, have got children, a conscience, a soul, any sense of care or understanding about what, what is happening in Africa. And I know Africans hate saying it's not just Africa, there's lots of different yeah. problems. But quite a lot but, of the problems yeah. in quite a lot of the countries are based on this kind of attitude. And also crushing people who try to do it right. No one's learning and no one's being compassionate. You know? Yeah. Also, trying to find even people like you've done what you've done or people like that they're very few and far between who are brave enough to not do as they're told or go and explore their life in their 20s and try and do good it knocks the stuffing out of those people because mm. you, you, you can get jaundiced you can get jaded you can get delus- delusioned by it well, well you know we're, well, we, do you want help or we're trying to help uh,
1: but that's what it's like mm. I think Somebody any big does. change is going to be an uphill struggle I'm almost glad that this happened to me when I was that age, so a few years ago, because it was a kick of reality, of what it's really going to take.
0: Mm-hmm. But don't, don't, don't those South Africans, whatever, evil investors, don't they represent all that's wrong with capitalism
1: today?
0: 100%. You know, we're not, we're not talking about saying, oh, we have to go back to socialism, everyone has to be equal. But when people come in and trod on people who are trying to dig themselves out of a ditch and kick them back into it repeatedly just so they can make an extra yeah. couple of bucks, that's the immorality of capitalism that everyone seems to just ignore and just I, go, Oh yeah, it's fine, we're trickle down trickle down economics, trickle down the hill back yeah. into the gutter economics.
1: Because right? it's a it's a structure that makes this a moral behaviour Legal. Yeah, and they, they were well within their legal yeah. rights to do everything we that we they well did. We are within
0: our legal rights to do. I actually the... think
1: that's what they said. Yeah, I know. Fuck <laughs>
0: off.
1: I was like, but what about your
0: human rights? Humanity. humanity? Uh, they don't it don't just have any
1: yeah. It was states. a heartbreak of frustration, and just I just couldn't believe that there were people in the world who were like did this. Did you find it
0: hard to pick yourself up? No, because I Out was there. pissed Out off. There,
1: yeah. I mean, I was devastated. This is only a couple of years
0: ago when it all finished, a few years ago. Yeah, two
1: years ago. But thankfully, the two guys that started it, Johnny and Craig, are, I mean, I can't even imagine what it must have been like for them. Like, this was their labour of love. They poured their heart and truly their soul into it.
0: How did it play, reporting-wise, in Malawi when this started happening?
1: Awful. i bet. And the thing is... But who better
0: than to come in than South Africa? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was... It was yeah, very sad. Oh There's this whole other very long story, but they call me Hummingbird. This like little like, yeah. um, he was like, "What we're trying to do was never going to be easy, yeah. but it doesn't mean that we're not going to do it." Yeah. And so I'm very fortunate that I have these incredible mentors who are like, "This is not, you know, this is not the end." And for them now, they're going to they go they've gone on to do even more large-scale incredible projects because they have such an amazing reputation now as the guys who were told they weren't able to do it and then they still made this amazing business Mm -hmm. and had an incredible model so now they're kind of utilizing all that experience to do more awesome stuff
0: right and just go go a bit macro before we finish what what, what what is your view of the world as a sort of a a progressive millennial, That's ah. but like, what? what is, are, are you optimistic <laughs> or pessimistic?
1: I fluctuate between. I'm trying to do my teacher training in yoga on mm-hmm. on the side, and sort of reading a lot of like Buddhist texts and philosophy around that. And I fluctuate between me accepting that we are just the tiniest speck in time that in the big, 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 big picture of things, it doesn't actually matter. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that actually brings me quite a lot of peace. I'm like, yeah. And I think you have to have it if you're working in this field. It's just a undertone of consistent optimism Mm -hmm. that things will change. And you may not be able to be the person that makes the big change or that Mm -hmm. makes the shift or starts the wave, but at least you tried. And started something, and you don't know how your actions ripple or how they affect other people.
0: There's a certain humility required. Buddhism teaches you that. You know? Yeah. There's, you know, there's an awful lot of, particularly in the business I work. There's an awful lot of look, look what I did, and look at the award I made, and look what you know. It's just that like the world needs to you, get away from yeah,
1: that. Yeah, you, know? you need to. If you are able to take your ego out of it, yeah. there is so much more that you can do.
0: I think mindfulness is a, with, you know all of that new which is a really big coming wave at the moment because people are so lost lost and confused and, you know so there's so much mental illness that I see which is just people who can't quite cope you know, yeah with, 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 with stuff what would last question what would you say to um, you know a young 17 year old boy <laughs> or girl who's listening to this and maybe thinking of putting their finger on a map doing it
1: the way that I see it is that almost in life you have a yes path and a no path if you go start saying yes to things and start going down the yes path it becomes easier to say yes to everything you've just got to get on that journey first I would say just just
0: do it. So you mean, we can get you into Red Bull, we get you into Nike. Just do <laughs> it. But your point is on the no path, though, that the no path is a least resistant path, and it's yeah, it's a fearful path, and it's, oh, what might happen? And the yes path is just embracing opportunities. I think, imagine. yeah, I think that's what um, I'm trying to say. Do you think eventually that you'll settle into one thing for a long time, or do you think part of your makeup is that you like to go in... And that you exalt. I mean, I found that, for example, a lot of my jobs, I very rarely lasted more than three years. And mm. Partly because of what I did in, in many cases. You know, you do it and someone goes, that's shit. And I go, all right, well, that's all I got. But, I think, <laughs> yeah. but do you think that this whole idea that you might find one thing to champion, or will you always go, I've nudged that into that direction. Now I'm going to go and have a look at this. Now I'm going to have a look at this? Part of me
1: wants to go back to malawi to kind of like finish what was started there i think i'll always work in this field whether it's for clean tech or farming or anything like that i think i'll be involved in different projects Mm -hmm. but i think the general trajectory and of what i'm doing will stay stay the same
0: it's great having somebody out there like you, Lou, uh, I must say, as a, oh, so nice. turn, <laughs> if, about, as a guy who's about to turn 50. And I don't hear an awful lot of positive views on the world in this show people look to the future. So best of luck, people, and uh, Thank thanks you. for being on a climate show
1: It was a pleasure.